Hi everyone, welcome to Menswear by a Woman, my second season, here come men, here, sorry, here come the men, I couldn't even say it properly. Right, um, I have Richard Tyler from Tyler and Tyler, England, and they're of men's fashion accessories, and I'm just going to bring Richard on here. Richard? Hi, Richard. Hi, how are you Richard? I'm really good, thank you, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, I'm okay, <laughs> I'm good. Um I've just looked at your company and it says that you're, uh, the company's over 100 years old. And it's amazing that, you know, our, even though it's 100 years old, it's, it's actually still going. So congratulations to you guys for making it <laughs> still going, you know. Because, you know, it's, um, it's a heritage brand, I presume. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tyler and Tyler itself, um, we started in 2008, um, but it obviously comes from the stable of our family controlled business, um, which has been manufacturing in Bergen since 1908. Wow. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of heritage and authenticity behind us. So we're actually in our 13th year as a company now, as a brand. Um, but I think a, quite a few people don't realise the sort of uh, history behind us, really. So, so it's good to speak to people like your, yourself to sort of get that out there, really. Yeah, well, you know, the, there isn't that many of companies that are very, you know, heritage brands. And um, it's always nice to see, especially during the pandemic, that you're still going, you know, yeah, because absolutely. things could turn a bit ugly, as you know. Uh, how did it, how did you want it, how did you begin to come into the company? And what made you want to be um, coming into fashion accessories for men's? So I don't actually come from a menswear sort of design background personally. Um, okay. I started in marketing originally. Um, so I've got a business studies degree in uh, BA honours degree uh, from Hertfordshire University and I specialised in marketing. Okay. Uh, so I graduated. Um, I first worked in for marketing agencies. Um, I worked for a fantastic company called The Campaign Works, which were uh, mainly responsible for of Hilton Hotels in the UK's right. uh, food and beverage marketing. Okay. So... That led to me working with brands like Guinness, Corona, Beer. Um, so it was a great company, great grounding. And the company was owned by a guy called Rob Conway, who was a, a real mentor to me with regards to you know PR and marketing. And I remember my first interview with him because um, I took in some some badge designs I'd done for the family business just to show him that I was sort of I could do art and was creative but they were a marketing agency and I just remember him saying to me you come across as a, a frustrated creative which is, is quite amusing because obviously that's what I've gone on to do in, yeah. as a career really it's all it's all become about design now so yeah it was marketing first and then um, from that I moved I worked for Virgin Records website design agency um, and music's a huge part of my life so that was a that was a great experience as well um, to be involved in the music industry so and in, then uh, in 2001 was when I actually joined joined the business right if anybody um, sees um, Richard's um, um, Instagram sometimes you can see Richard um, doing the drums he's actually yeah. playing the drums and sometimes I must say Richard you're amazing at playing the drums oh thank you <laughs> very very good so if anybody comes across He's also a musician as well, you know. Um, how did you, um, you're actually doing this business with your brother as well, Jonathan Tyler. Yes, yeah, so I think, I mean, how it all started. Um, so when I first joined the company in 2001, mm -hmm. I did start an accessories brand um, by myself with the support of the business behind me. Um, 
And it, it, to be honest with you, it, it completely failed. Um, but I think that that lesson in failure was, yeah, was really valuable because it told it really taught me what I'd done wrong and what I really needed to change. Um, yeah. And also at the time, we were as a company, we were working with some I won't name names, but we were working with some really well-known British fashion designers that were sort of internationally known all over the world. Right. Um, they would literally come to us with the colours for the season. And they would ask us to produce cufflink designs for them. So we would produce, you know, sort of 30, 40 different cufflink designs. And then these designer brands would pick sort of two or three designs for that season. So we kind of knew right back then that we got a talent for designing men's accessories. Right. Uh, and then slowly but surely, each one of these companies, these brands that we were working with, um, began to move their, their manufacturing to the Far East. Right, okay. uh, and they, they were big brands, so you know it was a huge dent to us as a business when they did move yeah. to, to the far east. It was a huge chunk of out of our turnover. So and I was just round at my brother's house. He lived in in Morven at the time. We were just in his garden one summer night in two thousand seven. We were just over a beer. I just said to Jonathan, "Look, when I think back about all the work and design that we've done, we should really." try and do our own brand and you know I learned a lot of lessons with doing the geometric range and I, I know what didn't work and what we need to do this time around yeah. so yeah we we agreed that we would we would start Tyre and Tyre and it seemed the most logical thing to do because it was two brothers behind it was just to use our surname so we kept it simple and called the brand Tyler and Tyler um, and it's a good and I think having Jonathan on board with it as well it just added that extra momentum yeah, which made us get it right, sort of first time and, and pretty quickly. Um, I remember we did a trade show and, and we picked up our first trade show. We picked up some huge retailers off the back of that. Right. So we kind of knew that we got it right. Um, and then, I mean, Jonathan and I both do all the design work together, um, oh. and we do, um, and we come up with our own own designs as well. I'm probably the more sort of, you know, as you'll probably see from our Instagram, I, I tend to be the face more the face of the brand um but it's a good combination i mean my brother jonathan is a he's a fantastic engineer he's a really you know really clever engineer so when we come up with new product designs and things like that he he actually works out how we're going to actually make it and there's some you know some real skill to that i mean our, our sort of signature whale tail uh, fitting t-bar fitting um yeah. my brother developed that um oh, wow. and it Unlike all the other whale tails on the market, it sits perfectly flat as a T-bar when you put it on. So as a cuffling wearer, when you're taking it on and off, it, you know, it's easy to put on and off, whereas the other ones tend to, on the market tend to catch. So the, the the fact that I've got him sort of supporting everything that we do and he's engineering mine sort of, you know, that, that really helps as well. With the accessories, right, it's not just cufflinks you guys do. It's blazer buttons. It's a lot of yeah, other so, things you guys so do as well. The, so we started off with cufflinks um, and, and all the metal-based metal, metal based accessories in our collection. So that's cufflinks, blazer buttons, lapel pins, lapel chains, collar stays, key rings. They're all manufactured by us in-house in our Birmingham factory. Right. And then... As you can probably see, we've we've got other products in the range: belts, socks, yeah. knitted wool ties, pocket squares. Um, so we, Jonathan and I, do all the design work for, for the entire collection, and then we work closely with factories in in Europe and, and around Asia for for the other products. But as I say, all the metal items are are, are made in house, and you know we're very proud of that fact. 
How how long does it take from when you start designing? How do you start designing a cufflink? <laughs> I mean, it's, it kind of works different for Jonathan and I. I mean, I I as a person have got a, a very busy mind, as my wife would say. Right. Um, <laughs> so I I bizarrely often get ideas just pop into my head at sort of three o'clock in the morning. Um, it's quite true bizarre. designer then. Um, so I, I don't know if you've seen, but we've just done a Negroni time anytime cufflink. So. Yeah. I think that idea came to me about half three in the morning or something like that. So <laughs> I got up at about, I managed to sort of try and get back to sleep till about six, but my mind was still very busy. So um, I, I went straight into our kitchen um, and I set up a camera actually because I thought it'd be good to just film me sketching the design. So if you go on our Instagram profile, you can actually see me doing the sketch nearly hours in the morning. Um, my wife thinks I'm, I'm mad when I do things like that, but that's that's how it works for me. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm I'm very influenced by architecture, culture around me, music. So I take inspiration from from all sorts of places, really. I mean, and one of the things you know, we're very at the heart of everything we do is British design. So we we, we also take influence from sort of very British iconic things. So you've probably seen the range of, of cufflinks that we do with the rutting stags yeah. and the sparring hairs and things like that. So, yeah. you know, very quintessential British sort of iconic imagery we try and use as well, which which for us as a brand really works. Um, but to go back to how long it takes, so um, from the sketch on a piece of paper to the actual finished product, it probably takes um, about 10 weeks, I would say. Wow. Um, we usually do pre-production samples, which takes us sort of three, three, three or four weeks, um, and then get yeah, six weeks to actually do the bulk production. Um, but I mean, we're trying to. I mean, as a, as a manufacturer, we've always been very sustainable. Even going back to 1908, we, we'd be classified as a sustainable business because we, when we when we manufacture a cufflink, for example, we we cut the metal blank out to be virtually the exact same size of the cufflink. So there's very little wastage left once right. you've done the stamping and clipped it out. And then that metal is then sold back to our metal dealer. And then that's again made into uh, sheet metal for us that we use again. So we're constantly sort of being sustainable in that, from that point of view as well. And, and with the Negroni cufflinks, that's the first time we've ever done a pre-order. So we've made pre-production samples and then we've launched those on across social media we've done a two-week pre-order slot on that which has been really successful it's been it's gone down so well we you know we're amazed at the response that we've had to it uh, and obviously that means that we're just going to we're just making in very small batches so we're really making an effort now not to carry um sort of high high volume of stock which again you know is, it helps but, towards yeah. our efforts in, in being sustainable yeah and also, it also eats up um, the business as well, you know, keeping too much stock. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, where you know, where we, where we, I think probably where we struggle as a as a, as a brand is, you know, we've got a we've got a ten thousand square foot factory in Birmingham, right. and uh, you know, the overheads of running that factory are huge. Uh, we've got a, we employ a really highly skilled team of of, of, of eleven people altogether. Uh, you know, and, and most of those have been with us since they left school. So, and, and some of them are going towards retirement age now. So, you know, we are a real family business in that sense. Everybody that's in the team, we, we treat as family, really. Um, so, yeah, it's it's 
it's um, it, it's hard because we've got all those overheads, and then you know our contemporaries in, in the accessories market have haven't got those sort of overheads, and they're more sort of design houses. So you know they've they've got money to throw at PR and advertising. Whereas you know as much as I would love to employ the services of a PR company to help us get press coverage and things like that, it's it's very difficult because we have the huge overheads of, of, of running the factory. And also, um, you know, having staff there as well, um, you know, you've yeah. got you've got responsibility as well at the same time, because Absolutely. if you yeah. start spending money on certain things that, you know, some people might end up losing their jobs and I'd rather, I'd rather keep the people. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and exactly. do the I mean, advertising what myself. We do, it, it is also, you know, it really takes skill what we do yeah, exactly. with the metal stuff that we manufacture in-house. I mean, there aren't many blazer button manufacturers around in the world and, and we're one of the few. You know, the yeah. skill that it takes is, is phenomenal in cutting the dies, making the tools, uh, doing the hand enameling. I mean, if, you know, the majority, uh, I mean, like a, a cufflink goes through around 15 different processes and, it, mm-hmm. and that's each individual cufflink. Nothing is, although it comes through the factory in, in a volume, everything is individually worked on. And the majority of processes that we use involve hand finishing. So there's a, you know, there's a huge element of handwork involved. So as you say, with Tyler and Tyler, it's the, it, it's the people behind it that, that help us craft our designs into into physical products that that you know they're key they're 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 of key importance to us. During the pandemic, right? Did you see you know how everybody's working from home and everything? Did you see any difference between um, guys trying to buy cufflinks? I mean, was it less men buying cufflinks, or was it? Yeah, I, I think fortunately, I mean, it, fortunately, so the web we've. You know, we mainly operate through our web store, so guys are still buying from home. Um, but it was more, it was more our casual accessories that were, you know, the, right. the belts and the socks that were doing okay in that period. And and I'm pleased to say that the things like the cufflinks and the blazer buttons have come back, um, which has been good to see. And and you, and we're very lucky too. We've done, as you've probably seen on Instagram, we've we've done some really fantastic yep. collaborations uh, during covid as well yep. which 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 have really helped us um you know we did a we did a little help in with uh mark henrik uh, from william brown yep. um, which was fantastic yep. so um matt's a great guy um i've known matt through doing pity um so which is the as you all know yourself yeah, is the, yeah. it's the sort of largest international menswear show yep in the world it takes place twice a year in in florence in italy so every season uh, it's a bit of a menswear mecca basically where we basically, all yep. <laughs> go to on mass flock to um matt has matt hosts a really brilliant party the william brown party at uh, harry's bar in florence which is one of the oldest bars in florence so i've got to know matt through 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 his parties and pity basically and um during the, I think it was probably the first lockdown. Um, for those of you who don't follow William Brown Project, follow Matt's Instagram because he, he's got an amazing Instagram feed from just his travels, his cooking. Uh, it's just a, a great in its style. It's just a great page. But Matt posted a picture of a vintage Bellstaff jacket um, that, yeah. that he's got in, in his wardrobe, and uh, that featured a number of. Um, vintage um enamel badges on and yeah. i recognized them straight away as some as badges that that my company had made basically so i, I messaged Matt and put great jacket and you know my company's actually made some of the badges on that jacket 
And so one thing led to another. Matt said, wow, that's oh. great. Could be doing a pelping for William Brown. And, and that went from there. So, um, so that was that was brilliant. Uh, and then we've recently um, produced, uh, done, done a collab with Alexander Kraft, uh, Monte Carlo. Um, he's just launched a, a beautiful uh, double-breasted navy linen blazer, um, which we've, we've, we've produced some blazer buttons for. So... You know, those things have come at a good time for us. And, um, you know, it's, it's opened uh, to, to people who didn't know about Tyler and Tyler. So, so that's been, those two projects in particular have been really, really helped us during COVID, definitely. Has it kind of changed between um, when you first started the company and compared to now in menswear? Um, I, tell you, I mean, I think... I, <sighs> I think guys, I think guys have become more interested in style since we started in personal right. style, definitely. And I think as well, I think when I first start, I mean, cufflinks is very strange. You know, you'll go through trends of guys wanting to uh, wearing double cuff shirts, single cuff, and, and obviously when the single cuffs in, um, that that has an effect on us. And you only need someone like David Beckham to start wearing double cuffs again, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you'll see the cufflink orders go up. So. It's. I think accessories. Accessories certainly aren't as seasonal as menswear is. No. Um, we do bring out new designs every season, um, just because the, you know there's, the, the buyers look to us for that. So we, we do that out of necessity. But the whole uh, ethos of Tyler and Tyler is that we will only discontinue something if it stops selling for us, basically. So there's still still some of our in the top selling five designs of what we do on the cufflinks and blazer buttons, uh, 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 you know, they're, they're ones that we started with right back in 2008, but because they still sell well and because they're quite, you know, like the written stag design, for example, is quite iconic for us. Um, we, we don't see any need to, to sort of discontinue it. And I think guys have become, I think guys are quite different in the sense that now, you know, it's all about sort of buy better and buy less, I think. And, and we're, we're strong believers in that. You know, every, everything that we do, whether it be one of our leather wallets or a, yeah. a blazer, you know, everything that we do, um, even the stuff that's made for us, we make sure it's of a, it's of a quality that, that's going to last um, and, uh, because that's what, you know, you know, hopefully if you buy one of our cufflinks, that'll last you, as, as, it'll last you a lifetime, basically. It'll last you as long as you want it. And I've, I think that's how guys have gone now. I think it's become more, you'll, you'll, you'll prefer to spend more on something that you know is going to be high quality and will last you as opposed to sort of fast fashion and, and, and something that will last five minutes. Um, and that's certainly something that, that we're, we're not about at all as a company. I think it's changed. It's, um, I mean, even I think during the pandemics, it's even changing more and more. Um, I think yeah. I've seen more sustainable menswear company than ever, actually. And it's quite nice to see that. And it's also brilliant to see that how people are buying less, but want to buy quality yeah. things um, instead of quantity stuff, you know, uh, which yeah. which is like which is great because it's it's kind of working that way the way that sure. we've wanted to you know wanted wanted it to go for a long time so it's quite Definitely. nice to see that what would you say um what's your favorite part of tyler and tyler uh, I, I just live I, I live and breathe it to be honest with you so it's difficult to to pinpoint any favorite part i, I think for me probably the most rewarding part is 
seeing seeing it from a sketch that I've done on a piece of paper to the to the finished products, and then actually seeing you know if a guy posts himself wearing the cufflinks or whatever on Instagram, that's 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 a really rewarding part for me. I think that's the that's the part of it that I get the most joy out of, definitely. And uh, Richard, do you know when you actually start sketching? And start yes. doing the design side of it, right? How do you yeah. how do you begin that part? Because, you know, when when I'm designing, I actually start doing research and all that stuff. Is that the same way thing with cufflinks, buttons, um, you know, all the yeah, other I mean, with accessories? I mean, obviously, because with with this being established since manufacturing since 1908, our archives are absolutely huge. Oh God, um, yeah, I can imagine. You must so have amazing so archives. Every cufflink and blazer button that we produce has to have what, what we call a die. Um, right. So that's what actually stamps the image into the metal. And, you know, when we're stamping a cufflink or a blazer button or a lapel pin, the, our machinery uses 100 tonnes of pressure. Right. So as you can imagine, can that's a lot imagine? of pressure. So these dies weigh quite a lot. And the, the our actual die archive, we had to have, when we moved premises, um, yeah. moved our factory from the city centre, um, we actually had to sort of get structural engineering to make sure that, you know, our fo- the floor was reinforced enough to take the weight of the dies. So, Whoa. yeah, some, <laughs> sometimes it, it can start with looking back in our archives. Other times it's just an idea pops into my head. Um I mean, once we did a collection based on Victorian wallpaper, so I did a lot of research on Victorian wallpaper and then my sketches were developed from that. Um, I, I mean, I, as, a, as a designer, I just think myself personally, I think that everything's a copy of a copy of a copy, basically. I, I, I think you rarely see an actual original mind-blowing design. I think it's all about sort of putting your own spin and trying to put your own stamp on something more than anything. Um, I mean, you know, you've only got to look at menswear at the moment. Yeah. A lot of uh, the sartorial sort of brands, of you, you know, you can see the, the sort of 1920s, 30s, 40s are having a huge influence on, on men's style at the moment, you know, pleated exactly. trousers. And, and so, yeah, I just think things come round again. And as I say, it's all a copy of a copy, really, and it's just putting a different spin on that or a different slant on it that, that sort of makes it your own. So I think that, for me, that's what design's all about, really, it's sort of taking influence from people and, and the things around you and things that you see and then just try and put your own spin on it. Do you see any different type of age group buying um, the accessories? No, I mean, with, with or... us, it's, it's really, it really is across the board. You know, it's okay. from, from guys, 18-year-olds, to guys in wow. the 70s, so... I think that's the nice thing with what we do, the accessories. And, you know, we try and we try and keep things classic as well, um, which I think works. And I think that appeals to all guys of all ages at the moment, which, which yeah, so we, we, we try and keep things as classic as we can, really, um, and try not to be too far out there. <laughs> <laughs> what's your, what's the next step for Tyler and Tyler? Um, I mean, it's, it's just just growing the collection, really. Um, there's, there's, I mean, within the Gronick, I think that was batch one. So I'm not going to give too much away, but no, there's going to be batch not. two. So, you know, we'll, we'll be growing on that sort of side of things, definitely. Um, there's new blazer button designs that we're working on. Um, and I think we're probably going to be working on launching a new sock collection soon as well, wow. which will be interesting. Um, and our socks are made in England for us as well. So that'll be good to, to do some work on that again. 
And um, Richard, your favourite menswear designer? Uh, I haven't really. I mean, my favourite designer of all is, is Alexander McQueen. Okay. Um, yep. He just, his work just still blows me away to this day. Um, and I don't know if you went to it yourself, but the, the exhibition that they did at the VA yeah. Museum was yep. just absolutely just mind blowing. Um, and I still, you know, I bought the big coffee table book that accompanied that. Yeah, that uh, exhibition. I, I still refer to that. His menswear collection was, um, I mean, one of his menswear collection that I remember seeing was the one, um, the Victorian times. I think the Vic- when the men are just walking in a, it's a very dark yeah. Victorian. Yeah, the Jack yeah, he took the a lot of, he took yeah. a lot of influence. Yeah, I was going to say that was the Jack the Ripper. The Jack the Ripper, collection. and that was just unbelievable. That collection, absolutely. Uh, it, yeah, even absolutely. even now, every time I see that collection, it's one of my favourite collection actually. Um, just the catwalk and the way the guys were, you know, the tailored garments and everything yeah. it just looked so, 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 so amazing. Just absolutely, just everything he did was just amazing. And, and, even, and even, you know, that sh- uh, the show where the models um, didn't know that there was, you know, there was, a, you know, a whole load of people looking at them and it was a, like a glass box. Yes, where the yeah, middles yeah, were, yeah. the models were coming in. It's so clever. You just think, you know, yeah, of course, yeah. McQueen. Oh, the showmanship of what he did, as well as the as the actual garments themselves. Exactly, the you know. Behind it all. Just, how do you think menswear is at the moment for you? Sorry, sorry again. How, how do you think menswear is going at the moment? I think it's. I mean, it's. A, I, lo- I love it as an industry. I love it. Um, you know, when we when we go to Pitti Umo, yeah. we meet. You know, I've got a lot of friends from around the world from doing Pity Umo now, and it's it's a really friendly, just it's just a friendly industry to be in, and and you know we all sort of support each other and, and want to help each other out. So it's a it's a nice industry to be involved in. It's constantly moving as well, which you know keeps my attention, which is good. Um, so I think the menswear industry is in a in a in a nice, healthy position at the moment, and I know and what I like as well. You, you know, I. I think I, I probably last wore, a, a, you know, I used to wear a suit every day to work, right. and, um, and I think it's complete. That's changed as well. Um, you know, when when we, I don't think I've sort of worn a two piece suit to work or three piece since 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 we launched really since two thousand and eight. So I'm quite a fan of just mixing up jackets with different trousers yeah. and, and you know not doing that. And you know, I know you know. Christopher Modi, he's a, he's a big believer in that as well. The, uh, you know, just just mixing up trousers he's with a different blazer, and, yeah. and and I think that's where accessories come in as well because accessories can add, uh, you know, add a splash of colour to your look basically. So, and for me, when 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 you're sort of dressing and you you want to look sort of sartorially good, I think to have a blend of different patterns and textures in your look and different colours, that's that's the way forward really. And, a, and a, you know, a lapel chain can add that or a pair of cufflinks or one of our bright coloured belts can add a pop of colour or, you know, pocket square. And I think that's what menswear is all about now, just sort of mixing things up really and, and sort of thinking a bit outside the box. I mean, I think, don't get me wrong, I still think there is, there is obviously a place still a a place for the suit definitely you know if, if I go to a wedding or christening I'll, yeah, I'll still wear yeah. a big face suit definitely um but yeah I think I think menswear is in a really positive good place and I think you, you as I say I mean we've do, been doing sustainability before it became sort of the trend buzzword that it is now but yeah. I think 
you can just see around you know that all the big sort of men's all the you know all the big hitters in men's where they're they're all now turning their heads to becoming as sustainable as they can be and and i think everybody's really going for this you know going for the trend of guys wanting to have sustainable wardrobes now and i think that's a really good positive step forward definitely and do you see any women coming into um, menswear um, accessories, um, like doing yeah, cuffs I mean, like yourself? I think it's a, a, you know, I mean, certainly from my experience at, at Pity Umo, yeah. um, there's a really good mix of, of both men and women in the industry. And I think that's a, a really good thing. Um, and, you know, you've got, you've got people like um, Becky French, who's creative director at Turnbull and Asa. Yeah. Nina Pellington from G's and Hawks, who's one of the senior cutters. Then you've got Caroline Andrew, Taylor. So, yeah, there's definitely, you know, there's a really good input from, from, from I think, basically, I think if you're good at what you do, if you're good at design and menswear, it really doesn't matter whether you're, whether you're male or female, because if, you, if you've got a good product and a good eye for design, you'll, you'll, you'll get picked upon and you'll be supported, definitely. It's good to know. <laughs> and I think, I mean, like only last, I think it was it last week or the week before, it was the, the Golden Shears Awards, which yes. is sort of the, the Oscars for, for the world tailors. of tailoring. Yeah. And I can see, you know, that when you looked at the finalists and their work, it was, I think it was literally 50-50. It was half, half, half the finalists were male and half the, the finalists were female. So again, yeah, you know, it I think that's changing. a really positive thing. Yeah, I mean, is. certainly from my from my own experience, I mean, Tile and Tile has changed a bit since we first started. When we first started started the brand in 2008, we were just a wholesale model. Right. So we were only selling to, to retailers, basically. And and that probably hampered us, to be honest with you, because we, we, we were very lucky, as I said, the first trade show that we did, we picked up some huge UK retailers off the back of it straight away, which we were just, you know, at the time couldn't believe. But part of the condition with working with these huge retailers were that we weren't allowed to sell direct to public ourselves. So we were actually categorically told you, you cannot have your own web store, um, God. which which made things difficult for us. But, you know, so it's it was only when we sort of walked away from those big retailers. Unfortunately, certainly our experience in the UK now, in menswear, the big retailers, the big department stores, they've just become impossible to work with now. You know, the whole the wholesale yeah. model for us, and I know speaking to a lot of my friends in the industry as well, that the wholesale model is almost dead now because yeah. these big stores have just become almost impossible to work with in, in terms of how they want to work with, with, with brands. Um, you know, some of them, you've got to pay for the privilege of being in the store. Yeah. Um, which, you know, if it's successful, costs a lot, a lot of money if they're selling a lot of your product. And then others just want to do you on sale or return. And, and you know, when you're a small manufacturer like us and, you and can't do you've it. got a big retailer saying we want to do sale or return with you, yeah. and then, you know, you're having to put that stock in and then you're having to wait months. You have to wait that season, basically, before they will pay you any money. And then, you know, what they don't return, they, sorry, what they don't sell, they either put into a sale or they return to you. And it, it just becomes impossible. And, and the margins that they want to make as well, uh, in some cases, just just crazy. Um, it's it's quite a bizarre situation. So for us now, we you know, we now we've got away from those stores. We're really sort of focusing on, 
on sort of selling direct to public with our own online store. So we were a bit late to the game because a lot of our sort of contemporaries and accessories market had always done, had their own online stores. So, you know, that kind of hampered us from the beginning, although it was great because we had the exposure of being in these big stores and it helped with the brand awareness and create the brand name. It was, it was frustrating that we couldn't do our own store because we could see that it was something that we needed to do. And you know how you say, um, you know, with the big stores like sell, return kind of prop policy and all that stuff. And I just think it's, um, I was just thinking about that. Um, it's it's one of the hardest thing to do, you know, uh, having your own brand and having your own business and all that stuff. And when big retailers ask you to do that, it's it's the most impossible task ever. And thank God for the internet because, you know, you're going direct to your customers now. Absolutely, absolutely. Direct to your customers and you're actually getting your customers telling you, you know, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, how you can make the product properly and how – because once you go to a big store, you're not going to get any of this information whatsoever. It gets lost. It's it's quite bizarre. I mean, you know, as a a company, Jonathan and I, when we set up Thailand Thailand, we always – you know, right from the outset of everything that we did, we, yeah. we sat when we sat there, we said, right, we want to, we really want to price everything that we do. We want it to be as honestly priced as possible. Yeah. Obviously, we've still got to make a living, but we want to, you know, everybody's in business to make money, obviously, but yeah, we wanted to be honestly priced things. And and it, and, it, and over the years since we've launched Tile and Tile, we've just seen the most crazy things. You know, we've there's other, other accessory companies in the industry that, they are purely, you know, just design offices that, that get factories to make stuff yeah. for them. And, and some of them do use UK manufacturers. But, you know, we've watched the prices of things like cufflinks. Just they've got to such an extreme level with some brands. And they, we, we look at these prices that some brands are retailing for and they're just, they're just mind-blowing to us. And, you know, we're really strong believers that people shouldn't be made to feel that they've got to pay a high premium price for a British-made product. It's... It's a kind of myth that's been developed through brands and, and stores as well. And it's, it's very difficult. I mean, I, you know, I've seen, I've seen accessory brands come up with fictitious metal names, fictitious metal, you know, sort of metal finishing processes that don't even exist. Um, <laughs> I've seen, you know, I've seen people using what, what we would use to, if we got a job for, outside Siren Tide, we do a lot of promotional sort of badges, you know, sort of yeah. badges for charities. Now, with that, we, we use processes that are for bulk manufacturing. So we won't put the same amount of hand finishing into a promotional badge that we would do into a lapel pin for the Siren Tyler collection because it just doesn't make sense to do it that way because obviously hand finishing, hand finishing is quite labour intensive. But yeah. we see other brands taking these cheap, bulk manufacturing processes and that's what they're used for is to get the unit price right down and then they market them uh, as, as being a high-tech you know finish and it's just kind of and I see things like that going on and, and as a, a as a manufacturer and designer I find that really frustrating and I think you know if you, if you look at Patrick Grant I mean what he's done with community clothing is, is brilliant um, yeah. if you haven't seen community clothing check yeah, no, them out I have, I have, he, yeah. he's all about supporting British manufacturers and and again he he you know he's, he's getting across the message to everybody that you don't have to pay you know extremely high prices for British made products it's just not it is a myth I think the thing that bothers me I'm never sure whether it's the is it the brand that's just you know, putting putting the prices to this level, or 
is it the is it the factories that are making for the brands sort of you know thinking well, well we can charge more that they don't that they're not going to realise this or is it a combination of the two and you know I mean for me if it's the brand that's putting the huge margin on by the time it gets to retail that's a shame because they're at the end of the day that's exploiting UK manufacturers at the end of the day if that if it is that way around it's it's a it is a um hard pattern isn't it it, it yeah, feels yeah. like a very hard pattern and it feels like a yeah. pattern that keeps going round and round <laughs> It's difficult because you know. Yeah. I mean, I've I've seen brands in accessories claiming now that they've got factories, their own factories, which you know I know simply isn't true. And and the, the trouble is the knock-on effects of that this has had on tire and tire on occasions. You know, I've I've sort of sat in meetings with, with store buyers and they've they've actually turned around to me and said, well. You, you can't be making stuff in the UK if, if it's priced at this price, you know. So that's the that's the kind of myth that it's created, which for me is is quite frustrating. But you know, it's now we're dealing with um, the public direct through our yeah, web store. Exactly. You know, we're really able to sell and um, sell the you know the story of what we do. You know, if you see our Instagram feed, you'll see. You know, we put we often put videos of us making stuff on. There's there's a lot of photography of the, the hand finishing that goes into things. So. Yeah, I think social media for us and the web store has been phenomenal because it does allow us to tell tell our story. And the thing is, right, um, I can see how much passionate you are about it as well, which is great <laughs> because you're very passionate about what you're doing. And you know, um, you know, sometimes it's it's you're very lucky to be in that position as well. And yes, um, yeah. and I feel like um, you know sometimes there are. You know, if anybody wants to go into men's accessories, what would you say to them and how would you tell them to go about things? I think you've just got to... It, it's difficult. I mean, it, obviously, I'm, I'm in a lucky position that I've got a factory behind me and yeah. uh, I've got a brother that's got a very good engineering mind as well. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, both my parents are still in the business as well. Um you know, my dad's been a, a fantastic mentor and um, an inspiration to both my brother and I throughout, you know, throughout our lives, basically. So, yeah, I know, you know, I've, I've grown up with the business, which is probably why I'm so passionate about it. Um, so, you know, in my school holidays, I, I worked in a factory in my school holidays. So, <laughs> you know, all the processes that we do, I've, you know, I can actually do. And when I was at university, every university holiday, I'll be back working in the factory, doing enamelling and things like that. So it's kind of in my blood. My brother's done the same as well. So we're lucky to have grown up with that. So we're probably in a very fortunate position to have that behind us. And, and you know, so it's kind of easier to do, to set up our own brand. And obviously, as I said, we've got all the experience of working with the other fashion yeah. houses that we that we've done. So we kind of knew what we were doing. But I'd say, if, you know, if you were setting up your own brand and you're a designer, I think it's really key that you find, you know, artisan factories like ourselves that have got tradition behind them, you know, that still support, you know, employing local people and, and passing those skills down from the, to the next generation. And I think that's really important. I think, as, and then as long as your designs are good and you've got, a, you know, a, a factory that can understand you. I mean, there's a real... You know, it's a real, it's quite a skill to be able to, I mean, it's something that obviously it's it's a very easy thing for me. But, you know, when we get, whenever we work with other, if we work with another designer ever, they'll often send us like a, a really complex drawing and then they, 
you know, we have to interpret that drawing to work in, in metal and enamel, which is quite a skill to do as well. So yeah. I think it's really, you've got a good idea and, you know, just run with it. But it's a case of really finding the people that have got the skill to take it from that concept into a finished product, um, which probably, you know, it's not an easy task by any means. But I think as with anything, if you do your research and you're passionate about it, you, you can sort of make a success of an accessory company, definitely. And the word would be never to give up. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, as, as I said, you know, I, I launched the brand by myself called Geometric um, in the early 2000s, and it was just an utter failure. But, you, love you know, I, I, I took that knock and I got back up from it. And and then, you know, that helped towards Tyler and Tyler being born. Um and I think that's life, really. You know, we all suffer from, you know, everybody has knocks and it's just how you get up from that and rise to it at the end of the day. On, an, on that note, Richard, I would like to thank you for those very amazing words, um, sentences, because, you know, you've said it, um, when you get knockbacks, and you know with this trade, you do get knockbacks after knockbacks. And, sure. you know, and the most amazing thing is, right, that you don't, let it get to you, get up and you carry on. Um, and Absolutely. You always yeah. do what you love to do because no matter what happens, you know, it will come together. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And I'd just like to thank you, Richard, for taking some time and giving me your time because I know you're very busy. Um, coming on to Mental <laughs> no, by a Woman. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Richard. And I've actually known Richard throughout the pandemic, um, sending him messages and all that stuff through Absolutely, Instagram. Yeah. So we've never ever we, met, we, but we've always we got a message, message. And I've, you know, every single time used to message him. And I've actually, I've actually got in touch with a lot of menswear community actually throughout the pandemic. So it does work. So if you're out there and if you're actually really passionate about what you love doing, please just don't give it up. Yeah. Just carry on. I mean, it. we came across you with your fantastic menswear illustrations. Thank which you. We, we love. And, and if you've not checked those out yet, people, you need to do so because they're your talent for your illustrations is brilliant. Thank you, Richard. Very kind of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Speak to you soon, Richard. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.